certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. With the Claremont serial killings trial only midway, the coronavirus pandemic has triggered unprecedented changes in the courts, including right here in WA. Welcome to this bonus episode of Claremont in Conversation. Natalie Bongiolo with you and calling in the West's legal affairs editor, Tim Clark, and criminal defence lawyer, Damien Cripps. Well, you know, we mentioned in earlier podcasts, we'd flag this idea that if if something were to happen and someone were to get sick, the judge or the accused, um, what would happen to this trial? But never in our wildest dreams did we anticipate COVID-19. No, I think that's very fair to say, Nat. And um, once it did really start to grab hold last week, um, I certainly started making inquiries of our courts here because other things were happening in other courts in other states in Australia, particularly New South Wales and Victoria, who very quickly took the decision to stop jury trials altogether. Um, it took Western Australia a little bit longer, but they yesterday made the same decision. Um, and so all new jury trials in Western Australia will be on hiatus for three months, um, up until May the 1st as it stands, but that could obviously stretch out. And in terms of Claremont, obviously that doesn't, have the same impact because we are a judge alone trial. But reading between the lines and making some um, sort of gentle inquiries today, I've got a feeling in my waters that there there might be some impact, particularly with regards to overseas witnesses. Uh, Our long-term regular listeners will know that there's been overseas witnesses in court and on video links already, and particularly in the fibres portion of the trial. The main prosecution witness is a doctor from Britain who was due to fly to Western Australia. Um, When that will be, we're not entirely sure. And when that will be now, we certainly aren't entirely sure. So, yeah, it's it's unprecedented, the impact on the justice system in Western Australia, as it is worldwide. Um, And in our particular field of expertise at Claremont, um, as I say, I I think it will have a knock on effect. Yeah, I mean, I guess the the beauty of the Claremont trial to date is that they have had the ability to do um, phone conferences in terms of uh, speaking with witnesses. But I think, you know, what pops into my mind is, you know, it is a judge alone trial, but what if a member of the prosecution team or the judge or someone who's critical to this case were to contract the virus themselves? Mm. Well, I mean, that is... That is the absolute worst case scenario, obviously, Matt. And I should say that uh, other other measures have been taken by um, the, the, the Chief Justices in Western Australia, not just um, uh, cessation of jury trials, but they are, they are also advising members of the public to um, stay away or not come unless they absolutely have to. Um, lawyers the same, media the same in any courtroom. In fact, one courtroom um, out of the Perth metro area today, the magistrate did take the view that she didn't want anyone in the court who wasn't um, involved directly in the case. And so she was letting um, uh, accused and defence lawyers in one by one and media and public were actually barred from that courtroom. So um, there is certainly a level of um, anxiety around all courtrooms 
And I am sure that when we do resume, if we do resume next week, Justice Hall will be taking similar measures and making similar statements as to I personally heard at least two judges make this week um, regarding um, entry and exit and attendance of court to keep it to a minimum when we are all um, being encouraged to uh, socially distance ourselves from each other. Damien, what does it mean to a trial such as this if it had to be closed, for instance, to members to the public or take that a step further, it had to be closed to members of the media? What does that mean for this sort of a trial? Um, Nat, I think that what I, the way that I would structure that answer is to say, I'll take a step back and say, first and foremost, in relation to whatever decisions are made um, in this environment, uh, coming from people who know a lot more about the source of it, the spread of it, and the ultimate effect of it than what I do. So, so whenever something gets put to me, oh, this is what we're going to do, whether I'm at the airport, whether I'm at the petrol station, whether I'm in the court, wherever I am, I always just accept that somebody knows more than I do and go with the process of what they're asking me to do, you know, with some confidence that somebody with a better idea of all of this has put implement, implemented measures that will put all of us in a better place. If that stems to the Claremont trial and one by one, people, the public, the media are removed from the trial, they would, I would have thought the reason that would be is because they're the first casualties that we can afford to suffer, if, that, if, if mm. we could put it that way. So rather than stopping the trial, the public interest would be in having the trial keep going, even though the public couldn't find out everything that they wanted to find out about it because the media were excluded. The public interest would be in that trial proceeding, even though the family members and some of the people couldn't come into the trial, because we are in a um, very unusual set of circumstances at the moment. So I think the public interest interest at the highest is for the legal system to keep turning over and and because otherwise there's a backlog of um, legal matters that need to get before a court and they can't get before the court if the one in front of them doesn't finish so um, in the, the impact to I think the process of the trial is minimal if the public and the media are excluded the the impact to um, to the state socially or uh, um, politically might be a little bit different and I'm not sure what the extended impact of that would be Um, but my thoughts at the moment turn to people who are in custody awaiting that Claremont trial to finish and if that Claremont trial was held up because the public decided that the media and the public had to be in there well in my view there would be a distinct injustice to a person who's potentially innocent without bail waiting for that court to be freed up. Yeah. I mean, I guess no matter where we work and what our field is, we're all having to adapt to these changing circumstances. And, you know, maybe this could be a situation where this particular case uh, isn't broadcast from within the court, but maybe that is an option that the, you know, that the trial is broadcast to a media outlet. Mm, yeah, I mean, that's a possibility now. We, we explored that possibility as media organisations before the trial started. Um, whether that will be revisited now if the judge was decide, well, it's just too risky for general members of the pub- public to come to court, but we still want them to give them access to the, to the proceedings. That could be a way they go about it. The judge could just decide, well, the media coverage so far has been so 
thorough and so exhaustive that they are getting pretty much everything anyway, so we'll just keep it as that, but stop public coming to the court. But as Damien said, the, the, the main players are down the front of the court, not up the back. And if, if it means restricting access to the court so that um, none of those main players possibly um, fall victim to this virus and, and then possibly have to self-isolate and all their colleagues have to self-isolate, then I'm sure that is the first step that Justice Hall would take if he felt it needed to be. The media, we've actually got our remote room already, as, as I've discussed in previous podcasts. Yeah. So, so there's, there's, there's no issue with us not going to the court but seeing the proceedings if we needed to. But, I mean, as Damien said, it's absolutely unprecedented. Uh, I'm, I'm sure no one would have envisaged this um, in this trial or any trial, anywhere in, in the jurisdiction or in the country or in other countries um, yeah. that having to, um, you know, tackle this sort of um, logistical problem. But tackle it, they are going to have to do. Um, but uh, you, might have, you might say one small mercy is it is a judge alone trial because if it was if we were in the middle of a four-month trial with a jury and the jury were then said not to come then it would all be off and we'd have to start again and that is the absolute um, worst case scenario that's right i mean you can't help but feel for all of those who are involved and you know i sort of am thinking about also maybe the victims who are coming to court and people Mm. like dennis glennon who is Mm. there every single day and you can't help but wonder what the impact of him not being allowed to um, you know, go to this trial would be well correct, and it, it, for everyone involved, it'll be a, a, a you know a weighing up measure, I suppose. Do, do, do I want to be there so badly that um, I, I will unself isolate myself if I can use that clumsy phraseology, or do you say, well, I will just trust the uh, the, the, the parties involved to get on with it, and I will attend when I feel safe and maybe when they feel so it is safe for me to attend again so mm-hmm. yeah uh, i mean there are so many questions i'm sure justice hall will be grappling with on top of everything else he's grappling with um before we are due to due to um, resume on monday damien you're working on many cases what does this mean for some of your clients and some of the cases that you are working on um it means that everything is unanswerable we don't know the answer to a lot of the questions. The only thing that we can really answer for people right now is what's happening in the immediate future. And that comes with a disclaimer that this could change at any time. So for all of my clients that are calling and asking what that means, the jury trials have, new jury trials, as I think Tim mentioned, have been suspended. So what that means is that, that, that the court won't engage, even though the trial is scheduled, the court won't engage in commencing that trial simply because they don't want to expose the jury to um, to coming in. So all of those trials are suspended. So what that means is for people who are awaiting trials in Western Australia, they're now back on the um, pending list. And if they're in custody, well, bad luck. I mean, I mean mm. it could change the, the, the terms of what a bail application could be for one of those persons. But if, they're, um, if they do have bail, um, they're back to living their life under that... Um, premise of bail and awaiting a new trial date. And as if anyone who doesn't know, at the moment, currently in the District Court of Western Australia, we are listing trials in April of 2021. So this is before the disruption of the coronavirus has taken taken place. So what's potentially going to happen is during the course of um, 
March, April and May of 2020, we are going to have a situation where uh, all of those trials are not going to commence and they are going to be putting, put back into the mix to be relisted potentially in um, April, May, June of 2021. It's a significant um, wait for somebody to um, who, who potentially has already waited two years to get themselves to a position where they're going to have their day in court to now say, OK, well, you, you, you're going back into the lottery and we're going to try to get you a date sometime next year. It's a significant um, thing for a, an accused person to go through. Well, but, but I shouldn't say just the accused person, but also um, the, the victims and the, the families of the victims are, are facing the same weight. So it's, yeah. it is having an impact, um, not just... But what I should say, um, Natalie and Tim, is what I've witnessed, and I'm sure through the course of um, both of you two's um, last week or two weeks, what I've noticed is, especially in the legal system, there's a lot of organised chaos. And when I say organised chaos, what that means is I do feel like the people who are, who are organising the, the court systems are doing a great job, especially here in Western Australia. Um, there's a suggestion that's come through which I think will, um, will essentially become a real thing in that they're going to allow defence lawyers to call in to status conferences and um, big lists. So where there's a big list of people trying to get trials listed or trying to get sentencings listed, they're going to allow defence lawyers to call into the court and appear via telephone, which is not uncommon. Um, but So we can call in and appear via telephone. But the question with that is always, is what happens to the accused person if they're um, scheduled to answer their bail in the court on that day? So if we have a, a matter listed in the district court, say, um, on Thursday, and they changed it so that all the defence lawyers had to call in or got called by the court when their matter was called, how then do we satisfy the court's requirement of the accused person answering their bail? Um, well, it, it looks like, and I can't say for certain, but it looks like what's going to happen is the courts are going to allow their lawyer, the people to attend their lawyer's office and the lawyer to answer their bail for them. Now, that is unprecedented because mm. I, I am not sure that I've ever... I had never even considered that. I mean, I've always been aware that I could say to the court, well, I've seen this person, I've, I've, you know, I mean, they're in my office or something to that effect, but um, it, it, it is quite a big, um, quite a big change in, in, in the thinking. Yeah. A huge shift. Uh, and that does happen sometimes with interstate accused people. If they are allowed to go back to their home state and they can't get to Perth, then they're allowed to sign in or report to a police station to answer their bail. But, I mean, to do that for everyone, um, it, uh, again, it's just it's completely unprecedented times just, um, in the courts in, in Perth and, and beyond. Yeah. And, Tim, the, th the, different, the thing there is, and what Tim just said is exactly right, it, it is quite common for people to be granted bail to go back to New South Wales or Northern Territory, wherever it might be, and then they can. And, and the, the requirement of their bail is that when their court matter comes back before a Perth court or a West Australian court, that person will attend either a Northern Territory court or a Northern Territory police station and answer their bail there. And then there's a communication between the courthouses confirming that um, that person had attended. So what we're talking about here is. We're eliminating the police station. We're eliminating the courthouse. We're saying that the, the defence lawyers can have the, um, the, the the ability to answer a, a person's bail for them. And I have never seen anything like that. And I'm not, look, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I, we've got to do whatever we can to keep everything moving forward. Um, 
but it's just it gives you an indication of what, what and I think they're measured and well considered steps to keep us all safe and to I mean ultimately as we all know this is what this is about is stopping this thing in its tracks yeah so um yeah I think they're, they're, they're good and well measured um processes to, to hopefully implement that Damien do you foresee that people who are uh, in custody awaiting trials do you foresee that they could then um you know reappeal for uh, to have their bail application reheard absolutely well, you can do that anyway so if you were refused bail and you if you were refused bail for whatever reason at any time if you you and your lawyer think that there's a reason there's a change in the circumstances or there's some reason why you could bring the bail application back before the court you can file to have your matter called back before the court and be heard on bail again um, a really important distinction about that is though you have you will have to show the court that you can enliven the jurisdiction so if mm. you've been refused bail before you have to re-enliven the jurisdiction to um, to get uh, yourself into a situation where you can be considered for bail again but in these circumstances um, the change of circumstances may well be that I was scheduled for a trial in May, that trial's now been put back into the lottery pool and I might not see a trial now until April of May next year and that is a, is a circumstance the court didn't consider last time I asked for bail. Right. So, so um, it's certainly a case now where I, I, I mean as part of um, the, the thoughts going forward I would have thought that this will be a conversation that a lot of lawyers and their clients will be having. Yes. And if you were scheduled for a jury trial, could you then, at this stage in the game, for instance, um, have that rescheduled as judge alone so that you could proceed as opposed to waiting to a point where juries can come back into the courtroom? So this is very interesting, Nat, because the, the answer to the question is yes. That's my understanding. At the moment, I mean, I, that, that, that happens anyway. That's um, a process um, that's available to accused persons in Western Australia anyway. But there is a time limit normally. So, that, you know, there's a, there's a uh, time limit before you would be unreasonable at some point when the trial was already listed to turn around and say, by the way, we now want this to be judge alone because the court has set the wheels in motion to get it put before a court somewhere where um, they can house a jury. They've got all the audio and linking facilities and everything that they need to get that um, trial up and running. So then, if you if you make an application too late for a judge alone, it's it's a little unfair. But I think that what we'll find in this current environment is that there'll be some flexibility in relation to that. Mm. So I, I think that there will be a lot of accused people that will be approached by their lawyers and saying, and and have the lawyers um, have a conversation with them about potentially considering having um, a judge alone trial because what that would mean is if the accused person agreed to it, that they would then the trials could go ahead because simply, as Tim had pointed out rightfully before, that the most important people are the front row people, the people up there, the accused person, the witnesses and the judge. And and if, if it was medically deemed safe enough to conduct those trials with that with, with that population, you know, with, with that amount of people in the court, then at, at the very least that would keep our system turning over and... and, and appease some of the backlog that's going yeah. to arise off the back of this, um, these restrictions. If, worst case scenario, Claremont did have to be suspended because the courts, for whatever reason, um, couldn't continue to hold the trials, 
and it was for an extended period of time, would they be able to pick up where they left off? Is that what would happen, do you think? Uh, well, I do, Matt, yeah, but yeah. I mean, Damien might have a different opinion. But, no, I agree with um, him. I mean, I think just, it, it, even, I mean, it's not ideal, obviously, but logistically, to go back to the start and start again, having done all that work, all those witnesses um, from overseas and interstate and, uh, and everything that's gone into it so far, uh, obviously, it's, it wouldn't be ideal to ha- have to take a break for however long it might be and then try and pick up. But the alternative is just to start again. I, 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 I'm pretty sure I know which way everyone would, would mm-hmm. want to fall on that argument. Well, I guess, you know, God forbid, you know, starting again would only be if, if someone was no longer available. Well, correct, <laughs> yes. And I'd have to... I, 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 uh, Damien's talk about logisticals with, with accused people there. Uh, another... Uh, thing to throw into the mix is the transport from um, prison to the court every day Um, and there's a couple of scenarios there obviously if there was a case in the prison that a prisoner was being held at whatever it might be wherever it might be um, if that was then to uh, would it would that then impact on the thinking if, if that person then had to come to court every day Mm. um, and and that's obviously mr. Edwards in this case but I, I was also told at the end of last week that when the Department of Justice in Western Australia was considering all these things, that they were also considering if they need to bring prisoners, which ones they bring. And I was told that the high security prisoners, the very high security prisoners, who are the most obviously um, labour intensive, if you, if you want to put it that way, they need the most looking after they would be the first to go because there's only so many resources in terms of prison guards and things to go around. So that's, an, uh, that's another thing that, that, that the court will have to um, weigh up next week. I mean, we, we have to stress, I have to stress, I haven't heard anything that suggests that, that the Claremont trial is going to be um, delayed any more than it has been this week. Um, but as Damien says, these, the, the, this... This situation is, is changing so rapidly and so quickly, literally hour to hour. Then, um, uh, if anything was if anything was to occur in the next three days, then um, then it might that might change, and we might have uh, have to wait a little bit longer. Yeah, I mean, there are so many things to consider, aren't there? You know, court security on the ground mm. within the actual yep. building itself. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, who are clearing people who are having to come into relatively close contact and. Mm. Well, I mean, there's no social distancing when you're talking about high security prisoners, Matt. And That's so right. The, the two the two court officers that have been sitting with Mr. Edwards every day they sit in very close proximity because that is that is their role. They have to be that close. And so, if there was any uh, you know any any possible risk of infection for those workers, then uh, again, logistically, it's it's just something that needs to be um, considered. So. So many unanswered questions now, yeah. and hopefully some of them will be answered on Monday. And in the countries around the world where we have seen a complete shutdown, um, I'm guessing that that has included a shutdown of the courts in those countries also. Uh, yeah, well, certainly in the UK, um, they there are grappling with exactly the same issues. Um, I know that there's been at least one major murder trial in the United States um, involving a jury that's that's had to be postponed. And we had a major murder trial due to start in Perth 
on Monday w- before a jury which had to be um, cancelled. Um, that, that, that accused person has been in custody for nearly three years um, I, and I know the, the barrister involved in that case um, is considering all his options in terms of applications for bail, applications for judge alone trials. So it's just thrown a curveball to so many, well, every aspect of every society, I suppose, but uh, and the legal system here and uh, all over the world yeah. um, are, are, all, are all in the same boat. And we've said so many times that you know, this is an extraordinary trial, and now, of course, we are facing extraordinary times. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, I've said it so many times. There's just nothing ordinary about Claremont, no. and uh, having to deal with a pandemic in the middle of it is just uh, is just another chapter to the book. Whoever's writing it. Yeah. Well, so for now, you uh, the court will resume Monday, the twenty third of March, and if there's any changes, I guess you will find out, and and we can let people know via the podcast. Absolutely. As I say, I, I've made some gentle inquiries with um, some of the interested parties today. Um, and if we get any more information, of course, we will um, we'll fire up the microphones and bring it to everyone who's been listening so diligently. Great. Well, in the meantime, if you have any questions on DNA, we're going to put those to our forensic DNA expert and help answer some of those questions now that that part of the trial has ended. So if you'd like to email those in, it's claremontpodcast at wanews.com.au. Well, thank you, Tim. Thank you, Damien. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. Stay safe. And as we keep saying, wash your hands and we'll chat soon. This podcast was produced by Kate Ryan and Alicia Preedy and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Audio files were provided from the archives of the Seven Network and the West Australian. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. For a fresh take on the news that matters, tune in to WA's newest morning show, The West Live, with Jenna Clark at thewest.com.au. The West Live not only delivers on what the day's big news stories mean for WA with hard-hitting interviews and analysis, but it will also make you smile with light-hearted chats and local gossip. The West Live, like talkback radio, but without the interruptions. Listen live weekdays from 8.45am on thewest.com.au or catch up with the podcast.